chapter 13, and we're going to be reading three verses and covering two parables. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. I'm going to be covering two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And we're going to, uh, Jesus teaches these back to back. They both have uh, the same meaning behind them, or, or maybe a little bit different, but they're, they're both dealing with the same subject, and so uh, we're going to cover them both this morning. Um, so first of all, I want to thank Chuck for stepping in for me last week and, and teaching, and uh, Kathy and I were out of town, and um, so it's, it's good to be back, and uh, good, to, good to pick back up with the parables. So a couple of weeks ago, we pointed out that, that what Jesus is doing uh, especially in this chapter of Matthew 13 and, and in passages like this, is he's revealing the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Uh, you remember in, in Luke 18, uh, eight, chapter 8, verse 10, he tells the disciples, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So these are, these are things that had been hidden uh, from, from all the Old Testament prophets. Uh, in fact, Jesus says they've been hidden since the foundation of the world. But now he's come to earth, he's got these disciples around him, and he begins to reveal these mysteries and saying, okay, this is how you thought it was going to be, but this is how it's really going to be. And you see, when you go back to the Old Testament, as I've, we said this several times now, Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Micah, Ezekiel, the list goes on and on, they had prophesied and they had taught that a Messiah, a Savior, is going to come and He's going to establish His kingdom. And this kingdom is going to be a kingdom of peace and holiness and there's not going to be any sin and all the, all the sinners are going to be judged and, and destroyed and there's not going to be any suffering and death. And this is what everybody is expecting. As we said it often, this was the expectation, this was the hope of every first century Jew that the Roman Empire is going to be destroyed, that Israel is going to be elevated to its rightful place. So everybody's expecting this thing to happen. And then Jesus shows up, and it wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. And what the Old Testament didn't make clear, what was a secret in the Old Testament, is that this kingdom that was prophesied would come in stages, and in fact in two stages. That first it had to come partly before it became fully. And this is one of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is beginning to reveal this mystery to his disciples, and he's doing it through parables. And we've already studied two of those, the, uh, the parable of the souls and the parable of, of the weeds. Now, the parable of the souls teaches us that in this, in this kingdom that most people are going to reject. You remember there's four souls. Only one of the souls was good. The other three souls are going to reject Jesus. So not everybody's going to accept him. And then he teaches us in the parable of the weeds that the people that do accept him and the people that don't accept him have got to live side by side. We're going to live in the same neighborhoods, shop at the same uh, grocery stores, work at the same jobs, play on the same uh, ball teams. It's, we're just intermingled with the weeds. So he's teaching us there's going to be a bunch of people reject. In fact, the majority are going to reject me, and you're going to have to live right alongside them in this kingdom. Now, at this point, you can kind of imagine what the disciples are thinking, because we tend to think the same way. And that is, I'm sure they're thinking, this, this is it? I mean, this is the kingdom 
This is, you know, we've been waiting for this great and glorious kingdom, and now you're telling us it's going to be just a few Christians outnumbered by the many. Won't, won't, the, won't the evil choke out the good? Won't having to live alongside the weeds, won't that choke us out? How, how is this thing ever going to be successful? And that brings us to today's parables, which is the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, because they both mean the same thing, and they are all about the victory of the kingdom of God. Because you just told the disciples, look, most people's going to reject me, and by the way, you've got to live right alongside of them. And you can see the disciples thinking, man, this, this doesn't sound like any kingdom I've ever, I've ever been a part of. How can this kingdom survive? How can this kingdom thrive? How can this kingdom grow? And Jesus comes along and says, let me give you a couple of parables and tell you how it's going to be. And the first one is the parable of the mustard seed. Let's read that in verses 31 to 32. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, once again in this parable, we've got a, a parable of agriculture, right? You've noticed that probably in a lot of the parables because that was the way society was back then. And here again, we've got a farmer, and this time his crop, instead of grain, his crop is, is mustard. Now, we may, if you're like me, I'm always curious about this kind of stuff. Why would people, we know why people grow mustard today, because you've got to put it on hot dogs, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense. But they're not eating hot dogs back in Palestine. So why would anybody back then be growing uh, mustard? Well, it was actually used 2,000 years ago almost exactly the way it is used today. It's, it has not changed at all. Back then, they used one of the uses was, uh, was to make oil. And this had medicinal purposes. It also had cooking purposes. By the way, you can still buy mustard. I went to Amazon. You can still buy mustard oil today. Just like and it was, It's made exactly the way it was 2,000 years ago. It was also used 2,000 years ago for flavoring and for spices. In fact, when you go back and look at it, what was done then is not much different than what is done uh, today. The, the yellow mustard that we get is exactly like the mustard back then. The only difference is about 100 years ago, some guy added some yellow dye to it and put it in a little squeeze bottle, and now we've got what we all know as mustard. But it was really uh, the same back then. It's, all, it's been a valuable commodity in this world for 2,000 years. It is, it's, the, the, the plant is harvested for its seeds, and I put a picture up there. So you can see how tiny that little seed is. And they actually take these seeds and they crush them and they make them into a, a powder. And that's what the spice and everything is made of. Uh, again, you can use it just all by itself as a spice or you can add water or vinegar or wine to it and, and make it into a, kind of a liquidy and, and, and like squeeze mustard. That's all that they do. A typical, I read this somewhere, a typical eight-ounce jar of mustard uh, will contain about a thousand mustard seeds. It takes about a thousand mustard seeds to make a little eight-ounce jar uh, of mustard. But it's, it was used back then exactly the way it's used uh, today. Now, mustard seeds grow into a fairly large bush. So I found a picture. I don't know how good you guys can see that up there of a, about a six-foot-tall man. So they grow into about a seven- or eight-foot uh, bush. That's normally about how big they they grow, but I found some pictures online 
uh, they can grow as much as 12 to 15 feet, which is, a, which is a pretty good bush. Now, what Jesus is saying in this parable is pretty, is pretty clear, right? He's saying there's really there's no connection with what you start with one little tiny seed that'll fit on the end of a man's finger. That little seed grows into this really large bush. It's almost like a tree that the birds can come and nest in. So that there's no connection. You can't look at that seed. You, if you looked at the seed, you'd think, well, that seed's going to make a really tiny plant. But it doesn't, does it? It makes a really large plant. And that's his whole point. There's no apparent connection between the smallness of the seed and the largeness of the end result. You see, even in that day, you could plant a barley plant, you could plant a wheat plant, you could plant other plants, and their seeds were small. But the smallest of the seeds, which was the mustard seed, actually end up producing a plant that was bigger than any of those things. That's Jesus' point in this whole thing. Now, before we go any further... I want to address something that's kind of become a point of contention. I don't know if any of you have ever known any about this, but I like to address these things. Jesus says in verse 32 that the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds. Okay. Now, in that day, mustard seeds... Remember, 2,000 years ago, there's no universities, there's nobody studying botany and all this kind of stuff. All the farmers knew that mustard seed, this is the smallest of seeds. But in the last 2,000 years, we have discovered several other species of plants, things like aromanth, uh, chickweed, pigweed, uh, things like that, that actually have seeds smaller than mustard. And so a lot of people will, who want to attack the Bible will say, well, see that? Jesus said that's the smallest of the seeds. That's not true. Therefore, the Bible has errors in it. Everybody knows now that, that the mustard seed's not the smallest one. So the Bible's got errors in it. If you can't trust that, you can't trust anything that Jesus says. So let, what I want to do this morning is, is that really what Jesus is saying? Well, I want you to go back, and you don't have to turn here. This is the same parable in Mark, and I want to I read it, and I want to point out a couple things. Jesus said this, It's like a mustard seed, which, and then he uses the word when. The mustard seed, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. Okay? Everybody see what he's saying? He doesn't say it's the smallest seed on the earth. He says when it is sown on the ground, it's the smallest seed on the earth. He goes on and says this, but when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Now, if you go back and you look at that in the Greek, Jesus is using the word herbs, which is the Greek word lacanon. And that word always refers to garden plants that are sown purposefully to be harvested. So what Jesus is saying here, that these are plants of all the plants that are sown on purpose. See, there are other plants out there that grow in the wild, chickweed, pigweed, aromanth, but they're just, they're like wildflowers. They just grow out in the wild. Nobody sows them. Nobody harvests them. People don't even know they exist unless you went out and, and look for them. But what Jesus is saying, of all the plants that are sown for purpose, of all the plants in the world that are sown to be harvested, of all those plants, mustard seed is the smallest seed in the world. And that is, that, by the way, that was true 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. Of any plant in this world that you sow, actually plant the ground to harvest a crop, the mustard seed is the smallest seed 
in the world. That has not changed. They haven't found anything else. So what Jesus is saying was exactly right. He wasn't saying it's the smallest. If you go out and, and check all the plants in the world, it's the smallest. He's saying of all the ones that are sown on purpose, sown to be harvested, that is the smallest seed. Um, now one other quick thing before we move on from this parable. Look at verse 32. Jesus said, "...is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." I, had, uh, I saw a question uh, on this when I was studying. Somebody asked a question, that, what do the birds represent? So that all the birds come and nest in its um, branches. I don't think the birds themselves represent necessarily uh, anything. You know, there was another parable, the parable of the souls. The birds represented what? Anybody remember? Huh? There for a minute, it represented Satan. Remember, the seeds fall on the hard ground and the birds come and take it away. And then Jesus says, that ground, Satan comes and steals it. So the birds represented Satan. So somebody, people say, well, that, do the birds represent Satan here? Well, that makes no sense, does it? You can't, you can't jump in and say, well, just because it meant that there, that means this here. So what do the birds represent? Well, I don't think they necessarily represent anything in particular. It's what the birds get from the tree that's important, not what the birds are. To, to understand what I'm talking about, I, I ran across this passage in Daniel, and I want to read it to you. In Daniel, is a, in Daniel chapter 4 is the story of Nebuchadnezzar, and we all know who Nebuchadnezzar is and, and his story. And um, he had a, was having some dreams at night, and he couldn't understand what these dreams were, so he called Daniel, and he said, Daniel, I'm, I'm having these dreams, and I need you to interpret them for me. And, and in verse 10 through 12 in chapter 4, it says this, These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there stood before me a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches, and from it, every creature was fed. Now, if you look at that dream, what do birds get from the tree? They get two things. They get shelter, and they get food, right? They get shelter, and they get food. Now, Daniel goes on to, to interpret that dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, that dream you saw, that was you. That was your kingdom. Your, your kingdom, Babylon, has become so great and so strong that your dominion extends to distant parts of the, of the earth. See, what he was saying to him was your, your kingdom, your Babylonian empire has become so great that other nations now get shelter under your kingdom. They get nurture from your, from your kingdom. They find their security. They find your sustenance in that tree. See, whenever you have one great dominant empire or kingdom in this world, what you find is all the other little ones kind of get under it, right? Think about the Babylonian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the British Empire. We've even seen that here with the United States, right? When the United States is such a great power, what do other people want to do? They, they make treaties with us. They get under our protection. By the way, how much do we dole out every year? Here's some money, right? Foreign aid. We, we, so they, other nations not only get security from us, they get sustenance from us. So anytime you have a great nation, a great empire, a great kingdom like that, other nations actually get sustenance and security from that. Now, if you bring that back to the parable, you can see what Jesus is saying, that the kingdom of God is going to grow so extensive 
that people from every nation are going to be able to come underneath it and get their sustenance and get their security from this kingdom. Now, by the way, he's talking to 12 people. <laughs> See, this is what we got to understand. He's talking to 12 people. And he's saying this kingdom's going to be so great, so great, that uh, the nations of the earth are going to be influenced by it. And they're looking at each other. <laughs> is he talking about us? I mean, let's go fishing, right? I mean, they just came off the boat. And he's telling them, man, this king, this is, I mean, see, this is what we forget sometimes, that he's talking to real people like you and me. And he's saying, don't, don't be discouraged. Don't, 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 don't be confused by all this. This is how it's going to be. This kingdom is going to go great. And you think of it this way. Whenever Christianity flourishes, I don't care if it flourishes in a, in a country or if it flourishes in a home, those around it are affected in a positive way. Yes or no? Absolutely. In fact, we're taught this all the time. For example, in, in marriage, in 1 Corinthians, we just studied this a few months ago. 1 Corinthians 7, 13-14, if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Why? Because the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. See, what we, what we learned when we studied that is if you have, we talked about this, if you have a two believers that are married, God looks on that marriage as a Christian marriage, does he not? Of course he does. They're both believers. And over here, if you have two, a man and a woman who are not believers and, and they're married, God looks at that as a non-Christian marriage, does he not? Of course he does. But what about the case where one is a believer and one is not. See, what this tells us, he says, the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife. See, God treats that marriage as a Christian marriage. He blesses that marriage as a Christian marriage. It doesn't make the man a Christian. That's not what it's saying. But he's, he's treating that marriage now as a Christian marriage because of the woman, because she's a believer. You see, there's something about a Christian when a Christian is in a company or a Christian is in a marriage, or a Christian is, is in a, on, a, on a ball team. God does something. He blesses that group because of that Christian. Christianity has an effect on those around it. That's exactly what he is, he is saying here. So just as an unbeliever married to a believer benefits just by uh, being around that, that woman of God, in the same way other people benefit from being around us or being attached to the kingdom in some way. Now, at this point, Jesus immediately tells us a second parable. Look at verse 33. So he tells them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Okay? Now, seems like, okay, he's gone from farming to cooking. And he's done it immediately, back to back. What, what's he doing here? Now... First thing we know, just as always, parables relate from common life, right? Jesus is always relating stories from common life. So as boys growing up, remember he's talking to his disciples. As boys growing up, they would have seen their mothers. I mean, this was something that was done every single day in, in Palestine, okay? I mean, every one of these, boys, these men standing around as, as children, they would have seen their mother break, uh, bake bread day after day after day. After day Again, that was about as common a thing as you could possibly choose in that day. Now, if you go back and look at, look at that parable again, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a woman 
are like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Now, three measures of flour, I went and looked this up, and I don't know how exact this is, but three measures of flour is about two gallons. So it's about two gallons of flour, and that adds, comes out to about 32 cups. An average loaf of bread, as far as I can tell, I have never baked a loaf of bread, but from, from looking it up, an average loaf of bread contains about three cups of flour. So three measures, in this parable, the three measures of flour that this woman had would bake 11 loaves of bread. Okay, not one loaf, not two loaves, not five loaves, but 11 loaves of bread. Now, why this woman is, is baking 11 loaves of bread, I got, you know, maybe the family's coming over, I got no idea. But three measures of flour, everybody with me? Three measures of flour is a lot of flour, especially for, for that day. Now, how much yeast or leaven would that recipe take? Well, one recipe I found online uses one tablespoon of yeast for every six cups of flour. So if you do the math, 11 loaves of bread for that lady in that home in Palestine would require five tablespoons of leaven or five tablespoons of yeast. Okay? What does the Bible say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You don't, it doesn't take very, very much. So you can see how these two parables go together now, right? Because this is very much parallel to the smallest seed creating the largest garden plant. Here you have a tiny amount of leaven, and that leaven ultimately impacts two gallons of, of flour or two gallons uh, of meal or two, uh, a huge, I can imagine this ball of dough would be huge sitting on the table, and it just takes a little bit of leaven to, to impact that. Now, I did a little research on this, because usually, I don't know how y'all are, but when I start doing this stuff, I just, my, just questions start popping up in my mind. I, gotta, I just got to know how all this stuff works. So I, I had no idea what leaven was or what, even how yeast works. Um, but yeast, I was telling Kathy this um, a couple days ago, uh, yeast is actually a fungus, and it's a single-cell fungus, and it feeds on sugar and starch that's in the, in, the, in the meal or in the flour. So when you mix it in there, well, it's actually like a little animal, and it's eating sugar and starch, and then it produces carbon dioxide, which is a gas. And the carbon dioxide is actually what blows the bread up, makes it all fluffy and spongy. Um, one thing I said, if you, if you want to remember how yeast works, this is kind of disgusting, but one thing I said, here's, here's it real simple. It eats starch, it poops gas. <laughs> so you throw leaven in there, it's eating starch, pooping gas, and your bread comes. Uh, that's, the whole process has got a, is fermentation, but you'll, you'll, probably never, you'll probably never forget that one there. Anyway, so, so this gas that's released pumps up this bread, right? It pumps, actually pumps up the bread cells, and it, that gives that bread that soft, spongy look and feel. But not only does it make the bread larger, right? It makes it go further, but notice its impact is much more than just that. I mean, has anybody ever had unleavened bread? Can anybody, does anybody like it better than leavened bread? <laughs> no, right? I mean... If you've ever tasted leavened bread, it's like, you know, it's flat and it's, it's just not that good, right? It's um, not very appetizing, uh, but man, leavened bread is really good, right? Especially if, it, if it's done right. It's, it's soft and, and man, when it comes out hot and it's warm and it's tasty, it's all of that. See, the meal, listen to me closely now, 
the meal or the flour in this parable is like the world. And as bad as the world is, and as useless as the world is, and as flat as the world is, and as tasteless as the world is, the leaven of the kingdom, and I mean Christianity, I mean Jesus, I mean the church, I mean His kingdom, I mean anything to do with about Jesus. When you add that to the world, it's going to influence the world. There is no way around it. Listen, you put that leaven in the bread and step back and watch it work. The power of that leaven is unbelievable. It's going to affect that bread. In the same way, the power of the kingdom is going to affect the world for good. Not just affect the world, but affect it for good. And by the way, the fact that it starts small, that means nothing. When the kingdom of God is planted in the world, as small as it is, like that leaven, it may be a tablespoon of leaven, but as small as it is, even if it's only 12 men, or 11 men, or, or 120, whatever it ends up being, it's going to affect the world incredibly for good. Because, man, it, it's like, I wrote down here, it's going to influence the whole thing because inherent in this kingdom is a bubbling, fomenting, supernatural power that cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. So from these two parables this morning, we learn four things about the kingdom of God. Now, don't forget... He started out saying, oh yeah, by the way, guys, let me, let me give you a couple secrets about the kingdom. You always thought all the sinners are going to be gone and, and you guys are just going to be in power and all this. Let me give you a couple secrets. First of all, most people are going to reject me. And oh yeah, by the way, the people that reject me, you've got to live right alongside of them. So you've got you to gotta work with them. You've got to go to school with them. You've got to play ball with them. You've got to shop with them. You've got you, you, you to be friends with them, right? All of this... And so they're sitting there thinking, man, this, how can this work? And he says, here's how it's going to work. It's going to work like a mustard seed. It's going to start small, but it's going to grow so big that other people, that other kingdom, that the actual kingdoms of the world are going to find sustenance and security. And oh, yeah, and here's the ways it's going to work. You know how you saw your mama break bread, bake bread and add a little bit of yeast? That's the way it's going to work. You take that bread and it just starts to, it just starts to rise because of that little bit of influence. That's how you guys are going to influence the world. That's how you're going to overcome the world. And so he tells us four things. Number one, the kingdom is going to start small. Its power is going to be great. It's going to grow very large. And the benefits are going to be positive for everybody. Okay? Listen, do you think it began small? Think back to the story, right? It begins in a, in a manger. It begins in a feed trough in a little town with a baby born in a in a in a um, in obscurity in a backwater country that nobody's ever heard of that's subservient to this global power called Rome it begins with a child raised in a backwater town called called Nazareth that even other people said man can anything good ever come out of Nazareth his own disciples said that right who said that philip can anything i forget might have been nathaniel can anything good come out of Israel? I mean, I mean, out of Nazareth. This, I mean, he, he, his beginnings. There's nothing there. It's as small as small can can be. And, and think of his disciples. He picks twelve of them. Uh, Eleven of them are this ragtag group of fishermen. I mean, they they have no political influence. They have no religious influence. They're just fishermen. They're about as low as you can go. One of them is a devil. One of them's one of them's going to end up betraying him. I mean, they're faithless, they're weak, 
They're going to deny him when, when the going gets tough. This, this is how the whole thing starts. It's like a little mustard seed or a little bit of, of, of leaven. And even after three years of ministry, three years of healing, three years of raising dead people, three years of, of making blind eyes open and, the, and deaf ears, uh, you know, making withered limbs whole, of do, walking on water, doing incredible things. Even after being raised from the dead himself, they're in Jerusalem in an upper room and there's 120 of them. So in three years, he, he basically grew it tenfold. He went from 12 to 120. 120 people in an upper room. Fishermen, farmers, um, moms, sisters, prostitutes, ex-prostitutes are all in this upper room. That, that's the kingdom. That's the mustard seed. That's the leaven that was hidden in the meal right there in that, in that upper room. And you see, this is an incredible truth, guys, because none of this was in the Old Testament. Nobody knew any of this stuff that we're talking about this morning. This has all been revealed to the disciples through these parables that we're talking about today. The kingdom starts small, but beating in the heart of that little baby in that little manger in that little feed trough in Bethlehem was a power that's going to take over the world. I mean, who would have thought that? Who would have thought that something so small in a child could become a kingdom, that, that an eternal kingdom bursting forth into this world? Why does it grow? Why does it influence? Because its power is great. I think about that tiny little piece of leaven that was planted when that child came, Right? The incarnation, when Jesus comes, and that little a child is going to come, right? And, and, and his name will be powerful, Prince of Peace, right? All of that in that little child. And do you think the kingdom's going to grow? Let me tell you, it's been growing for 2,000 years, but the Bible says one day every knee will bow. From a child in a feed trough to every, every person that's ever lived on this earth, bowing their knee to him. That's, that's some serious leaven right there. And that life, that leaven, that kingdom, it's in me and it's in you. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Say it with me. Christ who lives in me. That kingdom, that power, that leaven, that mustard seed, it's in me. It's in you if you know him. And it's growing and growing and growing. The life of Christ is in the world through us and it's leavening and leavening and it just grows and it grows and it grows. Listen, if you're in a neighborhood, the neighborhood should be different because there's a Christian living in your house. If you work in a company, the company should be different because there's a Christian sitting in your office. If you're in a school, the school should be different because there's a Christian sitting in that seat in that classroom. If you're on a ball team, the ball team should be different because there's a Christian putting on, those, on that uniform. And the list goes on and on and on, right? Because you're the leaven hidden among the meal. And it should begin to change people. Listen, you and I, I, I get so frustrated sometimes. I'm just like everybody. I get frustrated how that we're always trying to get political power. I saw the other day some article and it said something how um, evangelicals were so happy because they got access to the president. Who cares? 
That's got nothing to do with nothing. You don't need access to the president. You don't need access to senators. You don't need any of that stuff. You don't need laws changed. You don't need any of that stuff. Jesus didn't do any of that. It went person to person because you one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, and the next thing you know, the Pharisees are saying, well, these people are they're taking over the world. Person to person. You don't need all that, all that mess. We don't need all that because what's inside of you is more powerful than anything this world can ever come up with. You cannot stop the Spirit of God. You can't stop Him. You cannot stop Him. Now, this kingdom is going to start small, like the mustard seed, like the leaven. But I'm telling you, in the end, it's going to end up as large as it can possibly get. I, I, I was looking at different scriptures to include here. I could have included 10 or 15 or 20. The list goes on and on. I picked one, Revelation 11:15. 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever and ever. Everything the world has becomes his. And not for a period of time that's going to end one day forever and ever and ever and ever. That leaven conquers everything. The Messiah's kingdom is going to extend from shore to shore, from one end of the globe to the other. David saw it. Isaiah saw it. Ezekiel saw it. Jeremiah saw it. Micah saw it. The list goes on and on. They saw that final kingdom. And as it's growing, the benefits are positive for everybody. As I said earlier, you start out with 120 in an upper room and billions across the earth, literally billions of people over the past 2,000 years have been influenced by this kingdom. Think about, by the way, if you don't think this is true, go to, a, go to, a, a, go to India, go to Muslim countries, go where there's little Christian influence and look how they treat one another. I was reading the other day about, a, 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 um, I know some people that are Indians, and, and I've kind of, as I got to know them, I've learned about this caste system that they have. And, and it's just, it's horrible. It's horrible how you can be born, and, and if you're born into it, I don't care how smart you are, how pretty you are, how good you are, it, it doesn't matter. You cannot come out of that caste system. You are, you are in that caste system. I mean, they just, it, it doesn't matter. And they, the way some of the things they do and some of the ways they treat people. But you go to places where Christianity has flourished, where Christianity has gone in, and I'm telling you, things change. There are orphanages and benevolent societies because Christianity does that. It has to, it's just going to grow. It has to influence, okay? That is the effect of the leaven that's hidden in the world. Um, now, as I close here, I want to remind you guys of one thing. These parables are being told to 12 men, right? Pulls his disciples and says, let me tell you how it's really going to be. 12 disciples. And he's telling it first and foremost to them to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I want you to understand this morning, not only was it for them, it's for us. Because I'm going to tell you, I just mentioned it a while ago, I still get frustrated. Just the way they were probably thinking, they're looking around, is he, is he talking about us? Is he saying that we're going to influence the world like, like, like leaven influences bread? Can he really be talking to us? How in the world can this ever happen? We're just 12 fishermen. We don't have any power. We don't have any influence, right? But see, a lot of us, if we're not careful, we tend to think the same way. You see, we, we look around and we say, I mean, there's just a few of us, right? 
And just like in that day, the political power of Rome was aligned against them. The religious power of the Pharisees was aligned against them. Doesn't it seem today like everything's aligned against us? Yay or nay? Politics don't care what, what you really think. They just want to get voted. They they'll tell you whatever you need to say to get voted in. If you ain't figured that out yet, let me just put that out there to you. Whatever you, you need to hear to get their vote, they'll tell you that. Businesses are the same way. Businesses care about one thing and one thing only. That's money. If Christianity becomes popular again tomorrow, every advertisement will be extolling Christianity because they want your money. If homosexuality is popular, then they'll, they'll extol. They don't care. It's, it's money. It's all they care about. It seems like all of that today is aligned against us. And sometimes we say, man, how can we succeed? How can we influence? How can we change? It almost seems like, like the evil is overcoming the good. See, we feel that same way. We feel the culture, the politics, all those things are aligned against the truth of Jesus Christ. And we feel like they did. How can this kingdom grow? How can this kingdom conquer? How can this kingdom succeed? But let me tell you, this parable, or these two parables are teaching us that not only will it succeed, but it will succeed beyond our wildest dreams. You see, this kingdom has been growing for 2,000 years. And it's going to continue to grow and continue to grow and continue to grow until it is amazingly out of proportion with how it, it started. This kingdom that we're a part of it has grown for 2,000 years, and it doesn't stop. I, want to, I, I, I wanted to give you one example this morning, because we sit here sometime, and our, our worldview, our viewpoint is all shaped because of where we, where we are, right? We're in the South. We're in the United States of America. It's shaped by our race. It's shaped by, by our economic status. Everything shapes our worldview. Sometimes we don't see what's going on. I, I, I picked out one example. When the Chinese Communist Party uh, took power in 1949, estimates were that there were about a million Protestant Christians in, in China. That was in 1949. And, and you remember, uh, some of you don't remember this, but from history books, from 1966 to 1979, the Communist Party decides they're going to wipe out religion. So they close all the churches, they close any temples, they close mosques, they, they, they close it all down. No more, no more religion. It's over, it's done. And they thought, well, that's that, right? In 2010, the Pew Research uh, did a report on global Christianity. And they looked at all these numbers, they did the best estimate they could... And they reported that there's a, at a minimum 67 million Protestant Christians in China, and some people estimate up to 130 million. Could a, by the way, there's no, there's not a, it, it's a communist president, a communist legislature, communist police, no churches, everything shut down, and what happens to the kingdom? It just grows, and it grows, and it grows. Because you, that leaven can't be stopped. It's foolish to even try to stop it. You can't stop it. In fact, I don't know why this is, but the more you try to shut it down, the more it grows. I don't know how that happens. But, but you cannot stop that leaven. And it hasn't stopped in China. It's not going to stop anywhere. So what is the application of this parable for us today? Let me put it real simply. We're going to win. We're going to win. Let me say it again. We're going to win. Don't be discouraged. I, I, added this, I added this slide this morning. When you listen to the, this week, I was traveling, and so I've got my phone, and I'm looking at all the news. If you do that for too long, you're just thinking, oh, 
My, oh, this, wor this world's going to hell in a handbasket. It is horrible, all the stuff that goes. And you just get discouraged, right? So when I came back this morning, I added this slide. Don't be discouraged. Jesus sat right there, and he said, this is how it's going to be. Most people, not the many, only the few will accept the kingdom. The many are going to reject it. Is that true today? Yes, it is. And he said, oh, yeah, by the way, you're gonna, uh, with the many that reject it, you've got to grow up in the same field. You've got to shop at the same places, ride on the same airplanes, uh, do the same, right? It, it, this is how it's going to be, Derek. Don't, don't be discouraged about that. But let me tell you how it's going to be in the end. In the end, it's going to be like a little bit of leaven. And it's going to influence everything. It's going to be like that mustard seed. It's so insignificant. But it grows up into a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. See, he told us all that. He explained it in the parable of the soils and the parable of the weeds. None of this is out of his plan. None of this is catching him by surprise. So don't be discouraged. Don't let that discourage you. It's a done deal. It's already been ordained. It's already been set aside. We are going to win. The kingdom that's growing right now in you and I is going to stretch across the face of this earth, and it's going to go on forever and ever and ever, and you and I get to be a part of that. Listen, this ain't the Alamo. You understand that? This ain't the Alamo. We're not a bunch of people in some little fort just hoping we can hold them off. That ain't how this is at all. We go outside the fort, and we, and we take over the world. We are on the winning side. That's what this parable, the kingdom of God will be victorious. It's an absolute done deal. Trust in it. He told us that 2,000 years ago. He told us this is the parables. This is how it's going to be. So don't be discouraged, right? But I will ask you this. When you walk out of here today, remember, you are the leaven. You are the leaven. What are you influencing? You, you, if you're in that neighborhood, you should be influencing that neighborhood. If you're in a, a book club, you should be influencing that book club. It, 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 the list goes on and on and on. Are you being the leaven? Are you carrying the kingdom of God out into uh, a world? Next week, we'll be looking at the parable of the dragnet. It's in Matthew 13, verses 47 to 48. If anybody wants to, to read ahead, the parable of the dragnet, Matthew 13, 47 through 48. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these parables. I, as I've said to you often in my prayers, what a, what a, a wonderful study this has been. Um, I know that I've gotten so much from it, and, and I just, I'm, I'm continually astounded how, how applicable these parables are right now just as they were 2,000 years ago. Um, because the same kingdom that you instituted then, it's the exact same kingdom that's here today. There is no difference. All of this stuff has is, is got meaning for us if we'll only read it, study it, and apply it. So, Father, we pray. I pray for everyone and for myself here this morning. As we walk out of here today, help us, Lord, to be the mustard seed. Help us, Lord, to be the leaven that's hidden in the meal. Help us to influence those around us, not to be satisfied, Lord, uh, not to be uh, taken aback by what's going on, but to step up and be the power that overcomes. You told us, Jesus, you told us, in this world we'll have tribulation, but be encouraged because you have overcome the world. Father, you are the leaven. You are the spirit that overcomes the world. And Father, help us to be a part of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.